We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. with Pastor Wanzel, the thing about crying before you have to speak is you get like this plug like right here that is very difficult to work out um but it's it was a good cry that was a necessary cry and I have not had a chance to go to any mirror to see what I look like since the cry so whatever it whatever it is is just receive it as how it is um I have my water here with me because y'all are you know people see people see speakers or teachers with water I think you think it's because we talk so much that we may need water but I know an enemy well and when I get up here to speak he tries to give me like dry mouth so today I said ha ha but I got something for that so if in the event that you try to present a lockjaw type of situation I have my water for me so I thank God for that um we have a good word today and in preparation for this word, God took me back to a conversation that I was having with some coworkers of mine a few weeks back. Um, so for those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't know, um, I work for the Walt Disney Company and I love that company and I love my job. But a few weeks back we had one of our coworkers who was um, leaving, going and finding another opportunity, I always wonder what could be better, you know, but they, they were making another decision with their um, career. And so we went out to lunch and it was, you know, just a going away celebratory congratulation type of lunch. And we were talking about um, different small talk, different places you can stay on property. Because with Disney World, there's all the parks, but there's also the resorts. Should I take my other mic? Maybe? Sorry. Um, cause I told you I got my water ready and I wasn't prepared for the microphone situation. That's okay. Here we go. Okay. It says Wanzel and this is where the power is. Okay. Thank you. I knew I had the wrong mic. That, that must be a mic for uh, some lay person because that, this, this is where the, this is where the power is. Okay. Um, so Back to my conversation. We were at lunch, and we were having a conversation about just small talk, different places that you can stay um, on property, different resorts you can stay at. And one of my coworkers was saying that there is this property that is not a Disney property that has really nice creature comforts. And I was like, I had never heard that terminology before, creature comforts. But she was saying it has like a really, really good amenities, accommodations, places you can stay. And I was like, okay. But I kind of put in my mind creature comforts because I'd never heard that terminology before. So then maybe like two days later, um, I was watching TV and there was this car commercial and there was a celebrity endorsing this car. And they were saying this car, it's like an SUV, has very good creature comforts. And I was like, well, that's the second time I don't heard that term in a matter of a week. And I don't know what that, like, to have not heard it ever and then to hear it twice in a week. I don't know about for y'all. I'm a thinker. So my, my mind started going, like, what, is, what does that mean? What are creature comforts? So if this was your first time hearing it, um, I Googled it. Creature comforts are material comforts that contribute to physical ease and well-being, such as good food and accommodations. 
I said, okay, so it's like amenities, things that put you at ease, things that make you feel good, things that allow you to stay in a place of comfort, things that bring comfort to wherever you are. So if you're in that SUV or you're on, in that resort, creature comforts bring comfort to you where you are. Got it? Don't act like y'all, did y'all just learn something new today too? Okay, because I had never heard of creature comforts. So I said, okay, God, that's awesome. Thank you for bringing back that conversation to my memory. Why are we talking about that? Because I, I need to think about what we're going to talk about for the church. And he said, well, because I want you to stand before my people and come from the theme of no more Christian comforts. And I said, okay, so then let's go back. You have to go back quickly to what you just learned. Creature comforts are... Things that contribute to physical ease and well-being, such as good food and accommodations, things that bring comfort wherever you are, things that make you stay in a place of ease. And our God is saying this morning that I need my people to hear the message, no more Christian comforts. And here's why, because on the backdrop of what Pastor James spoke earlier around just how good God has been to us and just how it could have been us and it probably should have been us and I thank God that you didn't see fit to let any of these things be. In the background of all of that, we get really excited, but then we stop at the point where he's asking something of us to do. I think in most relationships, we get to the point where I feel really good about all that Devin needs to do for me. I think as my husband, I get really excited about all the things that the husband is supposed to do, but I stop short of what I'm supposed to be doing back onto him, right? And Christians have, we, Christians, all of us, have gotten very comfortable with receiving from a God that we give very little back to. And we have become very comfortable with our Christian comforts and only doing what makes us comfortable and stopping right to the point where things start to get uncomfortable. And whenever that physical ease that I'm supposed to have, whenever I get past that level of, of ease, that's where, I'm, that's where my action usually stops because that's where I, I don't, I don't want to be an uncomfortable Christian. I want to be a Christian, but not an uncomfortable Christian. But God, so, okay. So this is what I was saying as I was... Um, driving and riding in this morning, I said, God, why you didn't give me like a message like this is your season? You know what I mean? I feel like when you go through the Bible, there's like the prophets who always had like a doom and gloom, like, you know, repent, be saved or whatever. I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I want to, I want the other message. I want that this is your season, but he told me this is your season. This is your season to be uncomfortable. This is your season to understand that as Christians and as believers, we have assignment, we have duty, we have what is something being demanded of us, and it's time to be uncomfortable. Amen? Amen. So no more Christian comforts. Now, this is going to be taught, it was supposed to be taught, but the way the Spirit's moving, it's supposed to be taught in a Bible study-like fashion. So I just give that disclaimer for you, although a lot of things here at TMC are taught very Bible study-like, but this is going to be very Bible study-like. We are going to be going to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to start at chapter 1, and he is going to be our model on how to disrupt our comfort and how to um, walk out living before God, which is to walk out a life of discomfort. Um, I'm someone who, I need the how. I don't like when people tell me to do something but don't tell me how or show me how to do it. 
I don't like when people say that this is a really nice cake, but they don't give me the recipe on how to make it. I don't like when people say this is the model of a good marriage, but you don't show me how it got there. So now, today, God has blessed us with a model in Nehemiah. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and it is the NIV translation, so I'll read it for you. Um, I should also have said in the Bible study-like fashion that this is going to be that I will not be here all afternoon, but I will get through everything he said. Um, and there's also more to come after today. There's also be a lot of scripture. Are y'all ready? You don't have to do anything other than just this, okay? So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. If you had a paper Bible, you could like underline or highlight great trouble and disgrace. You could also underline or highlight disgrace. So they are in great trouble and disgrace. I want to pause just a moment here on disgrace because to be in disgrace is to be in shame. It's to have lost your reputation or your respect. So maybe you know people who are in disgrace. Maybe you have been in disgrace, but these people are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. If you could highlight, you would say, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But, thank God for the but. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Thank you, God, for your grace. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to this prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So I told you to be a lot of scripture. Um, but to give you more context for what is happening right here, I want to pull what... Um, Pastor Tina said last week about being kind of boots on the ground and making sure that we can really stand in the scripture so we know what's happening. Because maybe you've heard Nehemiah before, maybe you've even heard those verses, but I want to make sure that you understand what's happening. So there was two kingdoms. There was a, a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. Follow me? I was going to have a map, but I didn't grab a map. So um, there's, a, there's a southern kingdom, Judah, capital city is Jerusalem. And that's the holy city. That's God's home. Um, and in 586 B.C., 
So 586 before Christ is when the kingdom of Jerusalem falls. If you have a paper Bible, and I strongly encourage you to get a paper Bible, particularly a study Bible, um, at the very front of books, it gives you on the very top like a timeline of history. It gives you all the dates. I had a study Bible since I was like 10, and I never knew what those dates meant. <laughs> and I didn't really follow what they meant. But on my, in my paper Bible, I was able to see that 586 B.C. is when the fall of Jerusalem happened. If you follow those timelines on the top of the Bible, it gets in um, descending order as it's going closer and closer to the birth of Christ. Y'all follow me? Do you see my paper Bible in my hand? Do you see the dates doing this? Okay, so 586. So that means that the dates before that are going to be higher in number. So it would be like 900, 899, 898. I'll stop counting as not to embarrass myself. 897. And it goes down and down and down. Um, so 586 is when the fall happens. In the hundreds of years prior to 586, there were all of these messengers of God who were sent to try to warn the people so that they wouldn't have to fall in 586. So there were all these messengers who were coming to say, um, repent, 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 and people were ignoring those messages. The footnote for this, or maybe a note for yourself, is that distance doesn't happen overnight. So it wasn't like, boom, the fall. It was years and years and years of them disobeying, years and years of years of him sending messengers, and they just continued to rebel and continue to mock God. Some of the messengers that he sent were Jeremiah. He sent people like Ezekiel. You're thinking to yourself, you're a Bible scholar, maybe. You're thinking, well, how did that happen? Because Nehemiah is here and Jeremiah is after that. But the Bible is not in chronological order. So I'm helping you in your study time as well. It's not in chronological order. So if you go to the book of Jeremiah, you'll see those dates that line up with what I'm saying to you right now. But he sent people like that. They continued to disobey God. What were they doing? They were rebelling and they were mocking God. And God told me, because he, he went with me to the secret place and was really sharing his heart. He said, the rebellion bothered me. That's just like the disobedience. We're all very familiar with that. But he said it was the mocking that was the worst part. Because to mock someone is to make fun of them in a cruel or derisive way, to ridicule, to insult, to make sport of. So more than the fact that they were just disobeying him, he was very hurt by the fact that they continued to make sport of him. They treated him like he was a joke. And after years and years and years of taking that, he finally said, okay, boom, the fall, which is 586. Y'all following? Okay. I am going to quickly, 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 but it's very important, read to you 2 Chronicles chapter 36, only five verses. The Lord, and you don't have to go there, but 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through the messengers again and again. I just talked about those messengers because he had pity on his people in his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young people with a sword in the sanctuary. He didn't spare any young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. When I read that, I was like, dang. Not the old or the sick. He didn't spare anybody. He gave, God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried Babylon and all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. 
They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So whew, Nebuchadnezzar takes over after the fall. God grants the enemy, their foreign the foreign enemy, success over them, and then they're in power until Persia comes to power. So all of this is taking place when Nehemiah is all this is, ha- is what precedes what Nehemiah is praying in chapter 1. Did I get y'all there? Probably not as fast as you wanted to, but that's how we got there. That's how we are, okay? So all this is taking place before the fall. The first exiles start to go back to Jerusalem in 538. Remember, we're getting smaller. So 48 years later, and they start rebuilding their own houses but ignore God's house. Bring in Haggai, who was like, wait, 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 wait. Y'all back, but why are y'all only building our houses? What about God's house? Bring in Ezra. Ezra comes in, and he says, well, let's make sure we build the temple of the Lord. Then you bring in Nehemiah, like 128 years later, and he's saying, okay, the temple's there. Y'all houses are good, but ain't no walls around this, and y'all need some government. So this is where we are. Knowing all of that, we now have better context for the verses that I read to you with Nehemiah. If you go back to verse 2, so now we're still in Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 2. It reads, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. The note I want you to write is not a point, but it is a note. He questioned them about the people because he was concerned. So now I'm back to no more Christian comforts. You like I got back there? Now I'm back to no more Christian comforts. He questioned them because he was concerned. The first point is concern and compassion displace my comfort. Concern and compassion displace my comfort. Nehemiah is a great model for us because he didn't just like, he wasn't at the water cooler and just heard about what was going on with them. He actually questioned, like, what's going on? Are they okay? And I don't think that... As, I'm not going to say in the think. That's passive. I know that we, as God's people, as believers, as those who walk after him. And if you're in this room and you're not an unbeliever, you have a little bit of a past, but you still know God and he knows you. But especially for those who are believers in this room, we don't question what's going on in the lives of other people. We don't tend to question what's going on in the lives of, forget the world, even people that we know, we don't necessarily question what's going on. Somebody told you that their sister is struggling with addiction, and they told you that two months ago. When the last time you checked in and say, how's your sister doing? We talked about that. We prayed about that. How is your sister doing? Is she doing better? What is she like? We don't do that. So Nehemiah is already showing out here by showing us that we have to start to question what is actually going on with people. Because we're so fast-paced and we're in such this rat race that we don't even question what is going on. But then more than questioning, you get concerned and you have compassion, and that displaces your comfort. We are in a place where we don't question. And if we do learn of something that's going on with somebody that we know or that we don't know, we might say, child, pray for the family. Child, pray for the family. You learn somebody dies, pray for the family. Um... And prayers are a must. We have an intercessory team. Look at you, Westeria. Um, and that's awesome. But oftentimes that serves as a crutch for us to do nothing. 
because just pray for the family. Like I heard, you know, that that yeah, they say her sister lost her whole mind. Pray for the family. It's like that we we've gotten very comfortable and just pray for the family. And then sometimes, and maybe you don't do this, so I'll put my whole self on the altar, and then y'all won't judge me, lest you be judged in the way that you judge. Um, sometimes we even make sport of it, like we make light of it, like. Camille and I were watching this one show, and this very animated character said, child, they're on Struggle Street. And I was—I thought that was so hilarious. And I've even started to adapt it, like, child, they're on Struggle Street. Go pray for them, because they're on Struggle Street. And even that is not the care and the compassion and the concern that Nehemiah was showing us about people. And that's even if we do anything, because most of us don't say pray for the family. We don't make sport of it. We just keep going by. We just scroll through it because we have these things now that allow us just to do this. So even as we're seeing, like, viewing is going to be happening for this person, it's like, oh, okay. And then you just keep scrolling, and then you see that, you know, a person was kidnapped, and you just say, oh, okay. And then you just So most of us don't even give it a second thought anymore. And, again, I'm talking to believers. And forgive me if this feels a little bit like I'm excluding a group of people, but the message is for believers, and the message is for people who are saying that I'm seeking God's heart and I'm walking after him. And I know it could have been me and it should have been me. And he separated me and he consecrated me and he set me apart and he's blessed my family. But I don't do anything. I, I have become so um, sedated by my Christian comfort that I don't do anything other than just say, like, you know, pray for the family. Child on Struggle Street. Well, I don't really know what to say because I don't we've been praying for them for like that that that's what God is saying in this moment. Stop that. Stop that. Because you have gotten so comfortable as believers, as people who and, and I want to make sure I say this as well that you know when I say believer, I don't mean like person holding the microphone, person singing, person playing. Per, I mean like as people who say that you know God and that He knows you and that you're saved by His grace, you've been saved to do nothing. So God is saying, no more Christian comforts. Your, your concern and your compassion should displace your comfort, and it should move you to some form of action. Real concern, I'll read this note. Get back on my script. Real concern is to be troubled about something, upset about something, disquieted. Compassion, y'all go pull back from God's lifestyle brand. Compassion, rahamim, means you feel so deeply for the person that you want to relieve the person. It moves you to action. Come back next week. <laughs> I want you to come back next week. This is, um, this is, I will say that for me, this was a very difficult word. And this has just been a very difficult word even in preparation for this because God knew I was going to stand here and have to deliver this, but I didn't know that. So you know how God knows, but you don't know. So he just starts doing stuff and you don't really know why he's doing stuff. But the last few weeks, he has really been disrupting my comfort my physical comfort, my emotional comfort, uh, my financial comfort. He has been just disrupting my comfort. And as he was talking to me, I said, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now I get it. You could have said that when we started this whole discomfort journey, and it would have made a lot more sense. But he's been doing that because he told me that I can, you cannot speak, teach, I'll even say preach, this from a place of hypothetical. I don't ever recommend that you stand before God's people and preach anything in theory or hypothetical. I don't recommend it. I don't do it. But he told me for sure, you won't do that today. 
So today you're going to be able to speak from a place of discomfort about what it means to say no more Christian comfort. Amen? Amen. So let's keep going. In verse 11, we're still in Nehemiah chapter 1. In verse 11, he prayed, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. The, sir, the, the, the success that he was praying for and the favor that he was praying for was because he felt so compelled that he wanted to go be a blessing. But he knew that he had a job. Like, it's not like I can just, like, up and leave. Because y'all think people back in the Bible just walk with Jesus or just walk with Abraham or whatever. People had jobs, right? Like, he had a job. He was employed. He's like, I work for, I'm, I'm cupbearer to the king. So I can't just, like, on some Jesus said or God said type stuff, like, I have to just flee. He's like, I need you to make sure that I get favor with this king so that I can go be a blessing to these people. Now that you place it on my heart, don't stop there. Please favor me. Please bless me so I can go be a blessing. Our prayers don't sound like that. <laughs> Our prayers for success and for favor just don't sound like that. We are very caught in a, a hamster wheel of prayers around God bless me and God bless my family and God bless me so I can have a job that's going to make more money and God bless our church. And even that's somewhat self um, self-serving because I want a bigger church and I want God bless, bless, bless. And here we're getting this because remember Nehemiah is our model. He's modeling for us what real success and favor looks like. He was favored to be, and he wanted success and favor to be able to leave what was gainful employment. Y'all missing that part, right? He wants to leave what is his job a very good job at that because this is the kingdom that you're working in. Can, I, can you bless me and favor me to leave so I can go be a blessing? And I believe that there's a word behind this word, but somebody in this room, this is answering something that you have been praying about. God is saying, don't, go, don't just do, go be a blessing. I want to bless you to be a blessing. What does that look like? So we learned in the Giver series that you can give without being a giver. Um, I know that you can sing without being a singer. Um, I tell my kids, go be kind. I don't say go act kind. You can act kind and not be kind. And he's saying in this moment that I need you to go be a blessing. So number two, my point, I'm going to make sure you get it. I am favored to be a blessing to others. We're talking about foregoing our Christian comfort. And the first thing he said was that, what? Concern and compassion displace my, my comfort. And then he's saying, I am favored to be a blessing to others. We have gotten very comfortable with just doing. We've gotten very comfortable with just giving. What Nehemiah could have done, y'all, 
is, especially because he's got good relationship with the king, he could have said, okay, well, God, bless me so I can just give the people something. Because I heard that they're in trouble, and I heard that they're in disgrace. But he moved past just, I want to just go give them something. I want to go be a blessing to them. Yes, I'm repeating it. I've said it like five times because you need to get it. Write it down if you have not. You need to go be a blessing, not just give a blessing. Go be a blessing. Christians are called to be blessings, not just to give blessings. What does that look like? So he reminded me of my brother-in-law passed away a couple years ago, my husband's um, brother. And it was very, it is still very devastating because it was unexpected and he wasn't even 40 years old, like mid-30s. And so he was married. And so he left now a 30-something-year-old woman as a widow. And um, when that time came, it was also in the height of COVID, which is already just like the worst time. Like, there's not ever a good time to die, but like the worst time to die was like around COVID because of all the stuff going on and there's so many limitations and this is just a lot. And so God blessed us because we were able to go with her to the funeral home and help her make decisions that I don't think I ever will be prepared to make. We went to the funeral home we went there thinking that, I went there thinking that there were going to be other people there, that we were going to be amongst people helping her. Because surely she has, like, moms or sisters or somebody who's going to be there. We'll just, like, be in the crowd. And we got there, and it was just her. And God allowed us to help her make decisions that if she was there by herself, I would never want to be by myself and have to pick out caskets and arrangements. And he allowed us to be there for her. And why am I saying it? I'm not saying it so that you can say, good job, you guys. I'm saying it because that's what people need. And we could have been a blessing and sent flowers and helped with the arrangements and helped put something on the casket. We could have done that, but she didn't need that. She needed someone to be there and to help her. And I'm just, my heart breaks now because I feel like God is saying that people, Christians, um, who he, he has strategically placed in the world to be those kinds of blessings are just good with just giving a blessing and just sending a prayer and just sending a thought and just sending a card. But Nehemiah was what we want to be like. He didn't want to just send help. He wanted to go be help. Amen. Amen. Number two, I am favored to be a blessing. The thing that God, um, I wanted to skip past that note, Lord. Okay. <laughs> the thing that God um, unpacked with me when it comes to being a blessing is a couple of things. One, in our being a blessing, we have to make sure that it's not performative. It is not without reason that the scripture says, do not let your left hand or your right hand know what the other one is doing. Because what he's saying there is that you need to do it without trying to get recognition for it. You need to do it without trying to make sure that people see you doing it. No one saw us go and help her. Um, we didn't then go tell people, and we, you know, we was, yeah, we was out there with, yeah, we was out there with Jamie Child, because, you know, she needed somebody to be there with, like, we didn't do that. 
And oftentimes, even if we do make the step to be a blessing to somebody, we do it with the hopes of it, of us getting some type of recognition, either from people or from God. And I will lay myself on the altar again, and you won't judge me lest you be judged in the way that you judge others, that um, I've done that. Like, God, you don't see me? You don't see me? Not so much for people, but like, God, you, you see me being a blessing, right? You see me stretching myself. You know I don't really want to do I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to do it. God, you see me doing this, but I don't want to do, like, kind of like doing one of these numbers, like, from heaven. Like, you see me? Like, that's not, you're still missing the mark when you do that. It's not to be performative, and we cannot do it begrudgingly. When you are being a blessing, you cannot be a begrudging blessing. <laughs> Again, I will go ahead and put myself out there. Um, I hate when my children, which they don't do it often, but I hate when my child's out at the door. He's like, what's he about to say? Um, <laughs> I think he was going to the restroom, but he heard me say my children. Um, I don't like when my children act like me asking them to do anything uh, it, asking them to do anything is a pain point for them. When I have called you by name, okay, he calls my name out of that grave to go be a blessing. When I have called you by name, do not act for one moment like what I'm asking you to do is a pain point for you. We all get that when it comes to our children. Are all the children laid out? Is it calling? Is it calling on things? Calling out things. We don't like when our children do that, but we do that to God all the time. I have called you to be a blessing. I have called you out of your Christian comfort, and when you're doing it, you're gonna do it. Some if some of us don't do it, but if you move to do it, you want a recognition for it. That's a performative, or you do it, but you do it with an attitude the whole time you're doing it. I have done that to God. I have done that, and I was humble in this moment to know that that's not what Nehemiah was doing either. He was so concerned that he prayed so I can go be a blessing to them, but God, he, he, he wanted to leave employment to go do it. And I never heard, as I continued to read throughout Nehemiah, him ever say, God, come on, God. God, you know. I don't left my job to come out here and help these people. God, you know. And here's the thing. Even if you never say it, now I'm really going to talk to somebody. If you never say it, God still knows it when you are being a blessing begrudgingly. Because Jesus heard the thoughts of the people talking and was like, why do you think such a thing in your heart? He can hear. He can see whether you say it or not. So then I'll tell myself again, I felt like, because I didn't say it out loud, that God didn't know that I was upset about doing it. Because I was like, De Devin, the other day, <laughs> The other day I wanted to say something. I said, well, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to keep my comments to myself. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself. But there's still thoughts and there's still comments, and you're still doing it. So you're still doing it begrudgingly. You are not being a blessing. You are being a blessing begrudgingly. So for all of you who are like me, who are like, I'm not going to. I will say it, but I'm not going to say it. Like, But you just did. So you just did. So let God work on our hearts so we can stop being a blessing begrudgingly. Amen? Let's push. Um, I want to push. One more thing there. It is important to note, and this is going to segue us into the next part, 
that Nehemiah was born in Persia. So remember we were talking about that timeline, you see my Bible? And we're going this way, and the fall was in 586, and we're going this way, and then Nehemiah came like 140 plus years later. So Nehemiah was born when the Persians had taken over. He was born in Persia, and it all just became their, their kingdom, kingdom of Babylon, but including Persia. That's where he was born. This whole time I've been reading Nehemiah, I thought that he was born in Jerusalem. And that he was healing, he ended up in, in Persia serving the king. And that he was going back home. You don't even know them people like that? Like, you're not even from there? Like, I, I mean, like, so God broke it down to me. He was akin to the people because likes, similarities, characteristics, their family, their heritage. But he's not from there. He's at home. So I, so I'm thinking he's going back to, and I, it just it brought a whole new revelation to how Nehemiah needs to be your best friend and mine because he is the best model. So this ain't even your home that you're running to get back to. These are people that you heard about and you know about, and they got lineage, but that's not your home that you're going back to. Nehemiah was praying and asking to do what we have to do, which is point number three. And it's my final point, although you don't have to start playing. Just listen. I have to reach out to unfamiliar places. When we're talking about getting rid of our Christian comfort, I have to reach out to unfamiliar places. Yes, he knew of the people of Jerusalem, and yes, they are part of his heritage, but that is not his home. And he is going somewhere that is foreign and unknown to him to go be a blessing. For Nehemiah, it was going to Jerusalem. For you, those unfamiliar places may be going to provide love and support and care for people who you cannot relate to. Like, God blesses you based on your testimony to be a blessing to certain areas. So you were abused. So he's called you to go help the abused. Like, there's places that you can relate to. But then there are times when God calls you to go be a blessing or go help people who you can't relate to. Like, he's helping you to help the poor. You ain't never been broke. I don't know who in this room ain't never been broke. I've been broke. But either way, if that's never been your testimony, that's great. Go help people. Oh, you never been broke. He might be help, telling you to go be a support and be loved to somebody who has substance abuse, and you've never dealt with substance abuse. And he's asking you to go help someone who has sexual deviance. If you never dealt with sexual deviance, because you've been pure your whole life, and you got married when you were 15, and so you don't have those kind of problems, and, but now he's telling you to go help people who got them kind of problems. When you talk about getting rid of your Christian comfort, you are saying that, God, because you called my name, because you called me out of the grave, I don't just sit on my, Lord, my laurels and say, okay, God, I thank you, and I thank you, and it could have been me, and it should have been me, but I'm here. And I now say, okay, but now I'm here for what? You've called my name for what? And sometimes it's going to be calling me to go to and to minister to unfamiliar places. And we have to be okay with that. Amen? The name Nehemiah means God comforts. And that was really cool to learn in this moment. And I am wrapping up now, Jordan. Thank you. We'll work it out next time where I don't have to give, you know, over the mic cues. But it's okay. The people know we're family. Um, it means God comforts. And I thought that was really powerful because as we talk about 
you know, concern displacing our, our comfort. And we talk about going and being a blessing and we're talking about going to unfamiliar places. I have to go in the spirit of God. Nehemiah, his whole name meant God comforts. You have to go be comfort in that spirit. Because if you try, if you leave this message and you're like, you know what, that message was for me. It was rough and it was tight and it was all over my feet, but that was for me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to be a blessing. That's what I'm going to do starting this week. I'm going to go be a blessing. That's like, that's how we leave, just encourage. But if you do that, not in the spirit of God, you're going to frustrate them and you. Ask me how I know. Because I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to put my whole self on the altar, but don't judge me lest you be judged in the way that you judge others. That um, if you try to do that in your own strength, <laughs> it's like the demons beat the brakes off you. You leave naked and ashamed. That, that is not the do not do that. Do not try to go leave your Christian comfort and be a blessing to anybody in your own spirit. You have to do it in the spirit of God. Amen. You may stand to your feet. Um, I recognize that this message is uncomfortable, and transparently, I already told Pastor Wanzel, not begrudgingly, um, that there's more that God wants to unpack here. And this really had to be a very small dose because it is so potent what God is saying to his people right now. Um, I recognize it's uncomfortable, though, because one is just a message about being uncomfortable, but two, because these last couple of years have been so uncomfortable and so disruptive that right now all, of we're, all we're looking for is just a sense of comfort and return to normalcy. And so for God to drop in and say, okay, now that you're getting back to what feels like normal, get uncomfortable again, that's even more uncomfortable. But God wanted me to make sure that I stress to you all that being a Christian, being a believer, being a God follower has never been comfortable. It is never designed to be comfortable. And I want to apologize on the behalf of all of the pastors and the churches and the ministries that have ever told you that being a Christian was supposed to be comfortable. Comfortable, Christian, they don't go together. Cushy, Christian, they don't go together. You know how I know? Go search your Bible, your electronic one, or hopefully that paper one that you're going to go get. And you're going to see that from the beginning of time into where we are now to this common era, there has never been comfortable Christians who do anything effectively for God. Ever. So I, I am very sorry for the people who told you that they just preached his grace and his love. And that's so powerful. And they just preached to you that he just wants to bless you and he just wants to pour out on you. And you just, I, all of that is part of it. But I'm very sorry for the people who didn't tell you that this is a walk that is an uncomfortable walk. Ask Noah. Ask Abraham. Ask Jesus. Ask Paul. Ask Peter. Ask Jeremiah. Ask Ezekiel. Ask Nehemiah. Like, I don't know how many names to call out to say that this is, this is what it is. But this is what he's calling us to. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pray. Um, I told you that God has been disrupting my comfort. And I'm not going to end this microphone and tell you all the ways he's done that. Because that would just be too uncomfortable. Um, but I will tell you that God told my husband and I, years ago. So we've been married 13 years. Next Sunday, 
next Sunday. Um, and he told us probably like around year two or three that we were gifted to give. And if you go through the scripture, there's all kinds of gifts, but giving is a gift. We're all called to give, but then there's a gift of giving. And he told us we have the gift of giving. And I thought, oh, that's cute. We don't have nothing. <laughs> that's cute. We don't have nothing to give. <laughs> but he started to, even in our little to nothing, place on us to give and to give. And sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, it's just being of our time and all that. But it, it, a lot of times it's been financial. And um, he has continued to place on our hearts throughout the years just give to this person or this group or this whatever randomly. And so sometimes there's small amounts, sometimes there's big amounts, like my husband talked about. But here in the last few weeks, he told us, and I'm saying this for somebody, maybe somebody who's watching, but we had gotten really comfortable because in the giving and in the obedience to giving, he has really stretched out in our finances. And it's like, it looks really good right now. And we had gotten really comfortable. So we were giving our 10% back to him. And then we were giving an offering. And not like $5. We were giving like a really good offering. I said like another like 10%, right? Babe, something like that. Um, and then I figured, okay, so that's, do the math, 10, 10. So we got 80% that we can just work within. And we have our budget and we, we um, have our line items. My husband manages the, the Excel spreadsheet. And God told us a couple weeks ago that I need you to become even more strict in your budget because I want to be able to speak to you um, very frequently and say, give this or do this. And if your 80% is not where it needs to be, then you're not going to be able to freely give as I need you to. So, like, when I'm telling you put $200 in savings, you thought that was for your own comfort. I said put $200 in savings. I knew that two weeks later I'm going to pull on that $200. Y'all nodding, but that's real, like, okay, because I thought to myself, I said, well, God, God you want the 82? I mean, like, that to me is really, that's un- that, that was uncomfortable because I felt like, if you give 10 and then you give above and beyond and give another 10, surely you won't come after my 80. But he's saying I need to stretch out everywhere. And I need to be able to have access everywhere because I've called you to be a blessing. And part of being a blessing means that you don't have a lot of control over how or when I tell you to be a blessing. So you have to make sure that your books are in order so that whenever I pull on that blessing, it's available to me. That's a word for somebody. Maybe that specifically, but let's go to the word behind the word. God is going to speak to us over the next couple weeks about our Christian comfort. He is going to disrupt our Christian comfort. He is going to start to speak to you in ways that are going to seem unreasonable and unbearable and just really unfair. And I would just encourage you to go with him because here's the thing. If I called your name to do something and I set you apart, and I didn't allow the enemy to have ha- wreak havoc on you, and I didn't allow him to take over your life for a purpose, how dare you not live out that purpose? If that was the case, then I could have left you where you were. I called your name to be a blessing. I called your name so that you can be the believer I need you to be. Amen? 
Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.